When you're done reading the news, take just a moment, close your eyes and tell yourself, literally, that's the world I meet. And remind yourself consciously that these stories are out there and important to know, but not infecting your life. And that creates a little bit of a boundary. Welcome back to Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner goal boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Yay! Hey guys, Christine here. So today I want to give a warm welcome to someone I've followed for a long time and have become Insta friends with, as we do in today's world. I've been wanting to have her on the show for a while now and so glad it finally happened. So Jessica Yellen, welcome, is a Peabody, Gracie, and Emmy Award-winning political journalist. She is the past chief White House correspondent for CNN and has reported for CNN, ABC, and MSNBC. At CNN, she covered the White House, Capitol Hill, and domestic politics, and her debut novel, Savage News, was published in 2019. As CNN's chief White House correspondent, Yellen interviewed President Obama, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, First Lady Michelle Obama, and has conducted interviews with Presidents Bill Clinton, George H.W. Bush, and First Lady Laura Bush. She started her career as a general assignment reporter for local news stations in Central Florida and worked her way up. But it wasn't until she reached the pinnacle of her news career that she was able to take a step back and see what was flawed about the way news is reported in this country. Today, Yellen hosts News Not Noise nearly 24-7 on Instagram to an audience of almost half a million followers, but her reach is actually much broader. Last month, her content reached over 70 million people. The audience is a combination of people including Jennifer Aniston, Kerry Washington, Selena Gomez, Orlando Bloom, Amy Schumer, plus nurses, teachers, government workers, and politicians. She provides information that helps the audience understand the issues and talks about them knowledgeably. The idea, she offers information, not a panic attack. So thank you, Jessica, and welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I love that intro. Oh, it's a good one, right? So I'm going to get us started with the weekly catch-up. And so the culture of breaking news, and if it bleeds, it leads, is so pervasive. That's what we're going to get into with Jessica today. So we were wondering collectively, what is the one underreported story that's always bothered you that it didn't get more ink or hype? Oh, this is Jamie. I have a definite opinion on this one. So, you know, and I talk about this all the time. I feel the obesity epidemic and what's going on with our country's health is such a crisis. And we're in a very weird time about how we choose to talk about it or not to talk about it. In fact, so as you guys know, like I was a publicist for almost 20 years and I actually had a binge eating disorder specialist that was a client of mine. So I was taking him around on media desk sides in um, 2019. I was trying to remember when it was when I was talking about this with Christine. And I was like, I remember I was pumping in the bathroom of the Today Show. I must have just had a baby. It was 2019. So I was told like time and time again by editors and producers and bookers, they would kind of like lean in and say, look, you know, this is fascinating, but we're just we're not going to cover this story because either it's like just not sexy or it kind of went against this new like self-love at any size philosophy, which you know, I'm certainly not against the self 
love movement, but they had really adopted this kind of like from the top down, like we don't talk about weight, God forbid we're incendiary. And they kind of adopted that due to the pressure from their audience. And like, it was a trending social media topic, but the stats are there, right? Like the prevalence of obesity is like over 40%. That's like almost half the country. Obesity related conditions like heart disease and stroke and type two diabetes, like that's not going away. And the estimated annual medical cost of obesity in the US is $147 billion and rise. So, you know, I'm sorry, like, I really think this is a very important story. And I do think that it doesn't get the right amount of ink. So Christine, what do you got for us? Yes. So I think with such a crazy and depressing year that 2020 was, it would have been a little bit refreshing and helpful to highlight uh, just some more of the bright spots. I know they were probably covered, but they weren't highlighted at all. Um, and the positive moments, just to give some people a little hope. I don't know. I just feel like we could have used a little bit more of that. And I love recently, um, I saw Reader's Digest online. They did like 23 good news stories that came out of 2020. And some of them were just so refreshing and uplifting. Like um, there was a virtual class for artistic students that um, they help them build their confidence and to learn and read and write and or t- to engage and perform more. And also this um, great story about a Virginia nurse who was reunited with a rescuer and she was planning to meet up with him at a Yankee game. And it was just so it was just so cute and refreshing. And, you know, it just showed that side of the world that I think we didn't get enough of in 2020. So it would have been it would have been a little bit more of a breath of fresh air. <laughs> Well, I obviously second what Christine is talking about. And I bet you you saw this article, Jessica, in the Times today about the negativity bias in the news. My whole mission as the editor-in-chief of Woman's Day is to be an escape and, and to find joy and to give people reasons to celebrate and an optimistic basically an optimistic ex- escape from the news cycle. So that's all we do is tell good news stories. So they're getting their ink in Woman's Day. But I do feel there is this negativity bias in the news which unfortunately, as a journalist, you know, the stories that get shared are often the scariest, the 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 most doom and gloom. Um, and so it does bury some of those sunnier, happier, feel good stories. Everything you guys are talking about is the entire reason I left news and started what I'm doing on Instagram. And I'll tell you something. It's not just that there's a negativity bias to post negative stories. There's even a negativity bias in traditional news in finding ways to frame any story to maximize your anxiety and panic. They've decided that that's the way they get eyeballs and they get attention. And so it's always built around conflict. Whereas like what you do at Women's Day or what you all are doing right now is you're talking about ideas that inspire empathy and compassion, which is another way to drive engagement that's just mostly rejected by traditional news. Um, And I like I've actually there's research that shows the way they tell the news shuts down learning, especially in women, because that negativity literally neurologically shuts down learning for a lot of people. So I think all of this is like a huge challenge in the news we can talk about. My personal things that I'm obsessed with about like what stories are underreported, there's two. One is I'm obsessed with credit scores because every one of us has them. None of us understands how they're cooked and that all these mega financial institutions form a recipe about you that literally sometimes prevents people from getting a basic minimum wage job, prevents them from getting into a community college or limits what house you can buy. And you don't even know why. And there's been all this effort to reform it. And we can't because the financial lobby is so strong. So it's like a black box that drives your life. I've tried to report it my entire career and I never get a person saying, yes, do that story. And guess why? Let's do a podcast episode. (laughs) I mean, I'm fascinated. No, that's like so fascinating. 
that that kind of brings me back to I saw like the funniest meme mm-hmm. yesterday, and it was so it, it so struck me. It was like, yeah, I'm really glad that we learned about parallelograms instead of how to do our taxes in school. It's really coming in handy this parallelogram season. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> balancing your checkbook. Like why don't we learn that in grammar school or you know high school? It's so true. All right, so let's just take a quick break from the anxiety that is the world. We are going to bring you a really cool sweat this this week. I just thought this was like a perfect thing for either people who love wine, are clueless about wine, or somebody like me. Like I don't particularly drink, but I love to send wine to my friends, but since I don't drink, I never know what to order. So we have partnered with Bright Cellars, and I want to tell you a little bit about what they are. This is a wine subscription service that helps you find wines you love while making wine more accessible to everyone. So if you're a new wine drinker or maybe somebody who's been drinking wine for years and wants to get a little more experimental, Bright Cellars actually pairs you with unique wines based on your taste profile. So all you do is literally take this 30-second quiz on their website, and they will pair you with six wines that fit your taste profile. So Heidi, I know that you have been using this and love it. Why don't you tell me about your experience? Yes. Hey, guys. Heidi here. I needed to pop on to talk about Bright Cellars because I am so obsessed with this. Okay, listen. Bright Cellars not only sources their wine from all over the world, we're talking Spain, France, Portugal, Australia, South Africa, and so many other places, they come with wine education cards. Something you may not know about me is that I'm a little bit of a wine nerd. And that stems from, I went to Cornell. Cornell has a school of hospitality, their hotel school. And my senior year, I wanted to take the wines class. Of course you did. Who doesn't? So here's a little known fact about wines at Cornell. It is the most often failed class there. (laughs) Keeps the most seniors from graduating every single year. And being that I was heavily into theater, I was doing a show during the first exam and I bombed it. Like the questions are so specific. And if I had these epic cards from Bright Sellers, I would have aced the exams because they tell you all of the important information. Long story short, I had to get a hundred percent on the final exam to graduate. I graduated. Oh my God. <laughs> I studied so hard for anything. Oh my God. Were you bombed by the by the end of your studying? Did you have to like try different wines or you just studied from a textbook? You just studied from a textbook and that was oh, what made the oh, exam yeah. so hard was like in class you tasted them. And it was like this giant auditorium and it was, you know, on a movie screen, all the slides and everything. And that part was so cool and interesting. But the exams literally had everything you would find on these cards. Like, I just picked up Avast Wines. It's a dry wine from 2020, wildly aromatic, exploding with floral aromas and rose petals and orange blossom. It tells you what you can pair it with. It tells you that it's a light-bodied wine. It tells you what serving temperature. I needed to know all these things. It gives you the pairings, again, exam questions. But those exam questions were naughty. It was like there was A, B, and C, and then D would be like A and C. Oh, that's so annoying. B and C, there'd be an F. I mean, it was, but honestly, even if you're not like trying to take an exam on this, I remember when I did use to drink and I would just walk into a wine store and you feel like an idiot because like, you feel like you should be, you should have like an acumen and uh, an educate, like a, like a wine IQ. And I don't know, I didn't, you know, and I would just end up buying the same thing every single time I was such a boring wine drinker. So this would have been perfect for me. 
Absolutely. And also it's so helpful when you're invited, you know, pre-COVID days and hopefully soon again, when you're invited over to someone's house and they're like, oh, just bring the wine. And you're like, you're cooking what? As if that should help you. These cards tell you what to pair it with. It's so cool. And not only do they give you specific foods, like um, the one I was talking about before, you pair it with fresh goat cheese with honey, which, Ooh. you know, I'm dairy free, but that sounds yeah, pretty awesome if I need dairy, a vegan version. That sounds good. <laughs> and um, another thing I'm allergic to, shrimp pad thai, but I can have <laughs> pad thai. Um, so like if someone's having Thai food, like this is a great wine to bring. And I would never, as you mentioned, be able to walk into a wine store and figure that out. Yeah, and totally. Also says great for sunny weekend picnics. Like, I love that they give a situation. They tell you so much on these cards. They tell you where it's grown. They tell you what temperature to serve it at. That was another thing I always felt like I got wrong. I mean, I'm like a wine in the Chardonnay type of, I mean, sorry, an an ice cube in the Chardonnay type of girl. Like I'm like the Cardinal Sin wine drinker when when I used to drink wine. But you know what I also love, Heidi, is that um, similar to some of the other subscription services that we partnered with on on Off the Gram, like you can skip an order whenever you need to, if you're going to be away, like you can base it on your schedule. It is a truly personalized, customized experience. So I just want to tell our listeners, Bright Sellers is really, really coming in hard for you. They are giving you, are you ready for this? 50% 50% off your first six bottle order from Bright Sellers. So if you six just go bottles, guys, a big deal, right? It's so huge. They, yeah, it's huge. So if they just go to brightsellers.com slash off the gram. So that is brightsellers, C-E-L-L-A-R-S.com slash off the gram and take that seven question quiz to get your wine matches and receive that limited time offer of 50% off your first six bottle order. All right, back to the show. So what does news, not noise, really mean? Over the past year, we've all been hit hard with the 24-7 news cycle blaring into our living rooms. We sat with our eyes glued to the TV, terrified we'd miss some breaking moment on the coronavirus pandemic, the turbulent election, or maybe a new protest against anti-racism, or God forbid, the horror of another mass shooting. It has been a year. But with everything being deemed breaking news, Are we really just setting ourselves up for a constant state of anxiety? Are we truly informed or are we all guilty of ambulance chasing with our eyeballs? Jessica is here today to help us unpack this and understand how we can arm ourselves as conscious news consumers with the ability to discern sensationalism from the things that truly matter to us in our daily lives. Jessica is truly a breath of fresh air. She helps us all take a deep breath and ease our minds and allows us to process the information in a way that is truly helpful, mindful, and contextualized. She calls her platform, quote, an on-ramp for people who aren't watching the news and a distilling center for people who are watching so much news, they're overwhelmed. So welcome, Jessica. And that description actually leads me perfectly into my first question. We are so glad you're here. So again, this is Jamie. And my question is this, because I was actually so lucky to quarantine at a family home in Maine in the beginning of all this, right? So like a year ago. And I learned upon arrival there, surprise, they didn't have cable. And so I literally had no TV for the first three months of the pandemic. And I've always actually viewed that as a godsend. But I also kind of hate that because I was so scared of the panic-inducing news 
that admittedly it felt better to be blissfully uninformed. So, I mean, how do we find a happy medium? It's an amazing question and a challenge for all of us when we have our phone front of our face all day long. Um, My advice is um, to develop a news diet so that you decide in a conscious way, these are the places I check for news and these are the times of day I check news and then shut down notifications and decide 9 a.m. I'm going to check 2 p.m. and 8 and or whatever your thing is. And don't let yourself go beyond that because what happens is, you know, some notification comes, there's some crazy story, you start reading it, it links to another, it links to another. And then all of a sudden you're down the Twitter hole reading about like aliens who are infesting the vaccine and are going to, you know, take over the world. And the way to limit that is by making a conscious choice in advance um, that these are the sources I trust and here's when I engage it. Um, And then picking sources that are like a little bit varied and have grounded information, you know, not your silly BSE sources. And the other thing I advise is that if you when you're done reading the news, take just a moment, close your eyes and tell yourself literally that's the world I meet. And remind yourself consciously that these stories are out there and important to know, but not infecting your life. And that creates a little bit of a boundary consciously that lets you engage and still feel emotionally contained yourself. That's how I actually found you originally, because I remember a friend of mine um, who I think you, you probably don't remember him, uh, V-Day. He works at Focus Films, Focus Feature, and that's how he showed me you. And during everything, especially last year, it was so overwhelming. And V-Day was just like, look, seriously, just watch Jessica. She breaks it down. And it was so true because I was like, I sent you to my mom. I sent you to all these people who were saying like, oh, my gosh, between, you know, gosh, the election, everything, COVID, the election. And there was just so much stuff going on and you put it in sound bites and you made it easy for us to listen, to absorb and to not feel that panic and that stress. And I really, really, I mean, I thank you so much for that, but it just, you were my source. And then I kind of would like dip around, you know, we always have CNN on. So I try to like block that all out, but it was just so perfectly put together and all the important stuff was there without, like you said, all of that drama that just causes that tension. I'm so glad to hear that because that was the mission. And just one note on that, like the reason I think it works for the people it does is because one of the things we need to do is tell you this is a story that matters. By the way, you're going to hear all this other stuff. Don't worry about it. That's going to go away. It's hysteria. It's noise or it matters. But here's the context in which to understand it. I always had this experience as somebody who worked in the news business for all those years that like we were talking about the news in such an insider way that a lot of people will tune in and it feels like as a viewer, you're walking into a conversation or a dinner party 10 minutes after it started. You're like, what's that person? Who did what to whom? Why does it matter? There's even studies that show, we did one that showed 74% of news viewers feel less informed after watching the news than before because it brings up all these ideas and doesn't give you context or understanding and then commercial break. And so the question is, how can we give you context, engage you, but not take hours of your day? Just keep it short and quick, but go deep fast. Can you tell us a little bit about news, not noise first, Christine? I know you you had something you wanted to ask, but I just want to like hear a little bit about the platform. 
So first of all, you find it at Jessica Yellen on Instagram. So I use the hashtag news, not noise. But if you're looking, it's under my name. And um, the whole idea is I want to tell you these are the stories that matter to you in your life today um, and give you some context and framing for basically what are the facts on it? Why does it matter? Where do we go from here? So you feel like this sounds corny, but you feel confident in your knowledge and empowered so that you can then read more about that story next time it comes up, talk about it in a conversation, which proves understanding, and then take action in your world based on what you've learned there. Those are my goals. I came to it because as a political reporter, I was often interviewing undecided women voters who care enormously about politics and outcomes, but felt completely overwhelmed by the news they were getting. Because they're like, I hear the news, but it doesn't answer any of the things I need to know to make a voting decision. And I used to go home and I'd pitch stories like, how do we speak to that audience? And everyone's like, it's not our thing. And I just saw that there's this audience of people who care, but they need the information told in a way that so resonates, you completely get it. And one of the big tests for me is that um, a lot of the audience, like 98% of the audience says that they now have conversations on the news because of news, not noise, because they feel they understand enough to hold their own in a conversation and even debate somebody at the dinner table in a respectful way if they disagree. So, okay, so I do stories in context and then I break down things a little bit more And then I also try to give you interviews that help you hear from experts, not pundits, on what's the real. And do you lean one way or the other? I'm nonpartisan. I don't advocate a point of view. I will be like transparent in that in our current environment, being fact based means there's a huge part of our population that will reject what I'm saying. And I'm okay with that. Like, if it just, I have a lot of, you know, center right Republicans who follow me, but they don't agree with Trump that the election was stolen and they don't agree with anti-vaxxers that I'm not even going to say what the conspiracy theories are about the vaccine. So I'm fine. Like there's going to be a large part of any audience that rejects what you do. I don't. So I don't advocate outcomes. I am. a The audience is largely female. And so I'm pretty clear, like we need equal pay. We need certain reproductive access. Um, but how you break down within that on your policy objectives to get there, I'm I'm agnostic on that. And that kind of leads me to my question about breaking down how you went from White House correspondent and unpacking current events for people to, you know, doing that on the gram. And it's an amazing pivot how you felt like, you know, you must have taken this giant leap of faith. So if you could tell us a little bit about that and how, you know, you're an, amb- an ambitious woman who broke glass ceilings. So it was so brave to break out of that traditional model of journalism and to be so forward thinking. Um, but it must've been scary too. And there's probably tons of listeners that we have that are considering to, you know, taking similar leaps of faith. So I don't know if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I'm grateful for that. And I should acknowledge there was a lot of women who broke glass ceilings before me, Joan London among them, like so many people who have paved the way. My experience um, was that, I kept thinking, like, I came from a super do-well, do-good family. Like, it wasn't enough to just crush it professionally. You also had to make a positive contribution to the world. Like, how are you moving the needle? And for me, journalism felt like it it could be that. 
Um, and sometimes I get super corny. There's this quote from JFK, the pre- former president, who said that there is a reason the free press is the only private business expressly protected by the U.S. Constitution, because you need a free press to create an informed citizenry in a democracy. And so I think that is the mission of any reporter. How are you informing voters so they can make a smart choice in their election? Um, And so at the same time, like I got into the business and I'm a driven type A, as you say, competitive person. And so when you're in any environment, you learn what it takes to succeed. And I did the things. And, you know, it was like I wrote this in my novel, like it was everything from like spending crazy amounts of money to get my hair chemically straightened so that it looked right on TV, right? To um, finding like the conflict in any story so that I could, you know, be at the top of any newscast. But as I got older and more established, I always thought like, when I get the big job, I can do the in-depth stories I want. No, maybe when I get the next big job. But as I was climbing, the industry was changing and I kept feeling like I'm not doing my purpose. I'm interviewing these people who are undecided voters who say they care. I go home and talk to bosses and stuff. And I'm like, can we do stuff to reach them? And there's no space for it. And I'm like, how do I reconcile these things? Add to that the fact that I was like getting older. I didn't own a house. I had like four Blackberries and no boyfriend. I'm like, why am I living this life? Like, how do I make this make sense? And I had a colleague who was also a mentor, Gloria Borger, who said to me like a few times, we would have the conversation over a long period of time. And she finally said, leap and the net will appear. And that takes a huge amount of faith when you're somebody who works inside the system. And I will tell you also that like 99.9% of everyone else was like, no, you've worked too hard to get here. Don't nobody leaves at this stage and there's no way it, anything else works out. But you hear like the advice you need, and that was the advice I needed. And um, when I started this on Instagram, it was really because I walked around pitching the idea of doing news and information differently to literally everybody I could find, New York and Hollywood and L- like it didn't vibe for anyone. And my friends were like, pick up your phone and start. And so that's how it started. And it built an audience and I got some breaks and then it kind of mushroomed and now I'm talking to you guys about it. So can I pivot? Because this is a little bit selfish. I I have three kids. Um, and one of the hardest things for me for my 10, 9, and 7-year-old is distilling the news, explaining the news to them. Is there a kid's extension of what you're doing? Or how do you um, suggest talking to little people about big things? So, okay, one of the best compliments I ever got was somebody said to me, I watch your news with my kids because I know you're never going to do or say something that's going to trigger them or be inappropriate, which was such a compliment. My view on this is that um, exposing them to the 24-hour cycle is excessive. If you think about how emotionally triggered you are, then they don't have boundaries to even distill what's me and that. Like, how close does that come to me? It's too much. At the same time, you can't shield them from it because they're going to get it on TikTok if you're not telling them something. So I think that it's a um, simpler version of what I do for adults, which is put it in context and tell them what really matters. Create first the distance. That shooting was really, really scary. 
but it happens more frequently than it should, but not all the time. It was very far from us, whatever the things are, right, that help them see this as a way. And then say, there's a lot of people working really hard to make changes. And maybe that's something you will want to do someday too. And turn it into a something that makes them feel like there's agency. I think the biggest problem with our news cycle is we never too rarely introduce the piece that says, here's your place in how you can make change in this. And I understand why most news orgs don't do it because we don't want to advocate a point of view because that's partisan. What I do is I say, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm saying your senators care if you call. Whatever you think, call and tell them. And act on the local level, your school board, your blah, blah, blah. And I think you can do that with kids too. Say, you know, you can take steps in our community to make a difference. And then also... I mean, I would, you know, and I'm here to protect you. Like that piece of it is important for them to know. And you make everybody, I feel like you make us feel protected. I know when I listen to you, it's just, it just feels like um, it, you make it feel safer, which is again, thank you. But um, it just, it just really changes the perspective of listening to it. Cause you want to hear it. You want to know what's going on. Cause I have plenty of friends that say, I'm just turning it all off and that's not good either. So there's gotta be something. That's so smart. Can I tell you why I'm able to do that? I'm flattered that you think is because the news turns everything up to a 10. Did you ever watch Spinal Tap or an 11? Um, it's like everything has to be max because that's the way to engage you. And the reason you feel better when I process stuff for you is because I actually have been so many years, like I have my 10,000 hours. I'm like, yeah, this is a four. Yeah, this is a five. You know what? Don't worry. And so when I had to say this is a 10, which I did when I first learned about COVID coming, people trusted it. But it's like kind of recalibrating so you know how serious things are on the scale. So looking back at at the last year, like what are some of the top stories that you kind of feel got twisted up in the reporting? Like what would you have done differently? Um, Such a good question. So first of all, in general, I think the media created the phenomenon of Trump bombast and fed off of it, exaggerated it, and is now repeating it by making Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene also megastars. Like in 10 years ago, we would never have heard of them. Now they're the most important faces in the GOP. And it's because they're shocking TV and shocking print and get clicks. I'm not saying this in a partisan way. Republican leaders don't want them to be the face of their party. Majority of the part, it's a media phenomenon and the media is addicted to extremism and outrage. So um, that was one specific thing. I, I, you know, focusing on the tweets, focusing on on the drama. In general, I think the media has a problem of um, focusing too much on palace intrigue, like what's going on inside the big buildings, whatever they are, you know, the White House, or if we're talking about some corporate drama, the corporate, and not like, what's the impact on regular people? So the perfect example is when we were all going crazy because the chief of the Environmental Protection Agency was doing these crazy things like buy, spending money, government money on selfish stuff. Scandal, but you're like, okay, scandal in the EPA, how's my drinking water? And it turns out, Huge swaths of America have been struggling with tainted drinking water for years now. We're just focusing on it. And so it's like, leave leave Washington and leave the building. Like, 
all those panel discussions, you're supposed to be reporters. Get out of the building and report on what's really happening to regular people. Do you think it'll ever happen? I think that as the media is disaggregated, like y'all have your own podcast with your own audience and your own interests. I have my own channels. It We, we will do it. And then in our success doing that, that will create pressures on the majors to try to compete with us and do the same, or they'll leave it to us. Like, I'll give you an example. I did a story this week on a, they're in the Oklahoma house. They've passed a bill that lets drivers ram into protesters at protests with impunity. And um, that is also moving in, in Tennessee and a few other states. Alabama has a, it's happening across the country. These are underreported stories that aren't getting known by the time we see here see them in Washington, they will have created so much momentum. Some of those are unstoppable. So it's on us to just like raise awareness about them early so you can either take action or be alert. Yeah, I mean, I guess the question is like, where do we go from here? So like as average citizens, right, as like consumers of news and people who, you know, part of what we love about our show is that we're ladies of a certain age, right? Like we're not Gen Zers, we're we're millennial rising. We're like one or two years too old to be millennials. We're like a little above that. Um, millennial rising, rising, I love so that. So we're like, we're the modern mom, right? And so I like to say that we're kind of like, pretty tech savvy, but not like all the way in. Like I'm not getting my news from TikTok, you know, but I do listen to podcasts and, you know, yada, yada. Where do we go from here as average news consumers? Like where should we be headed? And should we just be like saying no to the mainstream media? Because it's, you know, it seems like it's, but that's what I'm saying. And I'm not saying no to any of it yet because I am guilty. Now I live not in Maine. I live in a home where we have TV and I am absolutely guilty of turning on, you know, the major news networks when my kids are in the room on a Sunday and I know it's not right, but like we all have this like addiction to God forbid we miss the next thing. You know, it's funny. I heard people of like my parents' generation say after we saw, you know, like presidents get shot live on the air, it's like you were scared to ever turn off the TV again. Cause what if you miss something? How do we break the addiction? I think some of this is the Napster phenomenon. You know, in the music business, Napster came along and the music business was like, this is terrible. We have to shut it down. Streaming cannot happen. And they destroy Napster. You can't put that back in the box. We are where we are. Streaming is going to happen. Stealing is going to happen. Find ways to cope in our new reality. And that is my, that's why I'm super realistic about it. So I think Hearst puts out, quality information, having that much funding allows them to do things that upstarts like me. I can't, I don't have the resources to go out and fund those kinds of things. CNN has that, like there's, I think CNN's a national treasure as critical as I am of a lot of what they do. So my, my message is definitely pay attention to what the majors are doing and take the best of what they do. And that helps them think more critically about the information they're getting. And so the whole thing is I'm trying to empower everyone to like think about taking ownership of their news. Like, how do I think about this after I've watched it and take ownership of their information? Like, I don't know. Like now I'm confused about something. Google it, you you know, take action and Getting conversations with your friends that are curious, saying, I want to learn more. What do you know about this? Instead of 
opinionated saying you're a schmuck because you disagree. Maybe there's an area of agreement that you haven't appreciated. So more questioning and more self-action and more critical thinking. So where do you get your news, Jessica? Like, what are your sources? Like when you wake up in the morning, where are the three things you check? So I'm going to give you an answer, but I also want to say I'm a little like, I've got my 10,000 hours. Like it's a little bit muscle memory. Like I kind of go to, I get texts from sources and I get emails from people who know or just forwarding me things like this is up your alley. Um, But I do rely on um, all the like Washington Post, New York Times, LA Times, Wall Street Journal. I go to all of them. Um, I look at NBC News Online is a great online outlet. Like, I think all the major news orgs have really good in reporting and they do a lot more substance online on digital than sometimes on their shows. It's a different mix. So, but I also, because I'm politics obsessed, I read Axios and Politico and it's a lot of skimming, you know, I have other sources that I use that are like separate. Like there's a periodical called The Conversation. It gives you really interesting sociological evidence about some of the things in our culture. The last week I got obsessed with the, what is a sex addiction? Is it real? And they had like a whole analysis of that because of the Asian spa shootings and the fact that the anti-Asian shootings and the fact that the shooter said he was a sex addict. So I kind of have like, I'm like a um, fighter pilot who's constantly surveying the landscape for bogeys all day. It's just like a constant cycling through of Daily Mail, one minute, Brookings right. Institution, the next. Well, I love that. You know, it's the thing is like when you are informed, like I was a publicist for a long time. So I have a pretty good bullshit meter as well because I know about what's kind of BS and what is more evidence-based. And like, but here's what my suggestion would be because I do this a lot with my husband. He tends to be, God bless him. I, I always blow up his spot on the show. He tends to be one of those people who reads something and then it's gospel. I'll say it to him in a, like a dumb way. Cause I'm his wife. So I'll be like, Oh, you always believe everything you read instead of helping him. Because I understand that, you know, a listicle in a, in a publication that it has a clickbaity headline. Like he'll be like, do you know that almond butter is killing us? And I'm like, well, almond butter isn't killing us. That was a clickbaity headline, but like, let's get into that. Like, let's take a look. And I think what this particular article was discussing was that your omega six to omega three ratios might be really off. And that could be a real conversation starter, but let's not throw away all the jars of almond butter in our house because that's crazy. Now, bringing that to his attention in a way that's maybe a little more loving so he doesn't then get defensive would probably have been a more helpful approach. And I think helping each other unpack this very ripe topic is really the important way to do it. Thousand percent. And to add to that, I've done, because I'm obsessed with disinformation and how to intervene when people are sharing that, um, I've done some research with like uh, experts in this, and they say the most effective way to communicate is never to oppose or object, but to pose a question. Like, that seems like super clickbaity headline. Do you think they've exaggerated it to get your attention? And the finding they're discovering is that when you respond with a question instead of an oppositional statement, even if they say, um, no, I don't think so. I think the facts bear it out. It's planted a seed in their head that will cause them to ruminate. And if they engage that and get curious on their own and find a slightly different answer, now you've created the path. So you don't have to get satisfaction in the moment that you've 
created the path. Just know that posing it as a question instead of a statement creates the opportunity. Interesting. What a wonderful piece of advice. And this is just also great, um, a great suggestion for communication in general. You know, we could all probably learn to pose things a little better, especially in a time where we all feel so passionate about so many things and it can perhaps get in the way of our better judgment. So Jessica, this was amazing. We have two quick sections that we always do at the end to wrap up. So I'm going to do the first one and it's a lightning round and it's three questions and they're very difficult. Are you ready? I hope so. Okay. Question number one, morning or evening workout? Evening. Ooh, you and Christine would be buddies. What is your favorite workout? I'm super conflicted. It's usually either, I used to do high impact aerobics. I was an aerobics instructor in college. So I like spinning because it's so high cardio, but I can't anymore because of sciatica. So I'm still struggling around and I use a, um, What's it called? The pedal machine, the Stairmaster equivalent. Uh, elliptical. Love Sorry. I elliptical. love that. I have one too. I'm obsessed. I was just on it like an hour ago. Um, okay. Question number three, coffee, tea, or matcha? Coffee, 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 coffee. And then iced tea all day. Oh, a lot of news to push out there. Christine, do you want to take us out? I'm happy to sing since Megan had to drop off okay, to pick take up it. her kids. Okay. Ready? Our last section is called Karma Call. Usually Megan does, she's got a singing voice. So she usually gives it to us that way. And Heidi is our yogi. And she explains that karma is the Sanskrit word for action. And so we ask all of our guests, what's one actionable uh, thing you can do big or small that will help impact us in in a way that you can help us out. I'm going to repeat myself, but I think that you got that it's really advisable for everybody to engage with the news and remind yourself at the end, that's the world. This is me. I can take steps to make change. Saying the thing to yourself consciously in your head creates a different experience of it in your body that lets you be empowered to make a difference. Amen, sister. Amen. (laughs) Preach. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Jessica. We absolutely love this. Everybody go follow Jessica on Instagram at Jessica Yellen and the hashtag is news, not noise. And she is breaking it all down for us. So thank you everyone for joining at home and listening to us along the way. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to follow us on the gram at off the gram podcast. We'll see you next time. 